Welcome to the DevLaunch Podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of the tech industry's rising stars, corporate America employees turned tech entrepreneurs. Hear how these folks took a risk in leaving their W-2 job to build their enterprise, the lessons they've learned along the way, and what they're doing to revolutionize this industry, one project at a time. Our guest today is Michael Harris, the founder and owner of Bamboo Software. Headquartered on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio, they specialize in serving healthcare and medtech companies as certified cloud and healthcare interoperability professionals. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tony. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining uh, on this show. As you know, the purpose of our show is we're really trying to highlight stories like yours of folks who at one point were working in a W-2 job in corporate America and ended up leaving to launch their tech entrepreneurship, um, their their tech entrepreneurship journey, starting a business in the tech space. And you are a prime example of that with Bamboo Software. So I'm excited to get a little bit into your story and kind of where, how you got to where you are today. So would you mind maybe bringing us all the way back uh, call, call it your origin story. Talk to us a little bit about even your childhood. Like, how did the years uh, in your childhood kind of shape your experience, specifically in entrepreneurship? Well, we were, I guess we were always active. I mean, even from the time, I can't remember exactly how old I was at the time, but we were as young as you could possibly be to get a paper route in the city of Canton. Um, so my older brother, who's uh, about a year and a half older than me, uh, he was the one who's officially, you know, managing the paper out. And he may have been like 11 or 12 years old. It's, it's kind of crazy, you know, how young you could be for that. And then I'm his helper, you know, his helpful sidekick, the Robin to Batman kind of thing. Um, so we did that for at least a year. It seemed like a lot longer at the time, but it was it was probably probably two years with him at the helm. And then. He graduated on, started, you know, doing roofing and things like that, you know, because he was a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. Um, I continued and then brought on my younger brother, who's about two years younger. Um, along the way, you know, we would meet different people who needed different things. So for a time, we were doing lawn mowing, uh, at, at, you know, at a couple different locations as well. Um, and that's pretty much it. It just kind of fell into our laps. We didn't think anything of it. We thought it was kind of normal, but you know, we're 10, 11, 12 years old with checking accounts, filing taxes and whatever else. So it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. That's wild. And, and at the, at the young age of 10, 11, 12, like you guys are doing all this stuff. Like I'm thinking of myself as a 10 or 11 year old, like I'm, I was probably just like playing video games. So that's really a lot too, for sure. (laughs) So you played video games, but then you also got, you also had a business on the side. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, it teaches you a different level of responsibility that I don't Mm. think we appreciated at the time and maybe detested at the time, Mm. uh, especially in the form of what, if you're delivering papers, you know, usually, especially on the weekends, you got to get them out early in the morning, Mm. Sundays in particular, especially because now we're going to church, maybe at 8.30 or 9 o'clock, so you got to get them done before church. Mm. Even worse part about Sunday papers are they usually come with these massive inserts, and they could be multiple inserts of advertising, so you got to stick in the paper. So we'd have some kind of a system set up in the morning, you know, where we'd go out there bright and early, it's still dark out, get the inserts in, get everything ready to go, and then get out and deliver, you know, these massive papers. And then finally, okay, we're done. We come back in, eat as much uh, cinnamon toast crunch as we could. And it's always a race with three brothers who gets the the third bowl out of the box, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's so awesome. It's it's funny. I think we've talked about this before, but like there's a lot of similarities because you got two brothers. I've got two brothers, although I was the youngest. So um, I feel like you probably had a little bit of a better situation <laughs> in the lineup. Um, but man, I, I got to imagine, you know, the paper out, like you said, waking up early, probably taught you guys a lot about responsibility at an early age, right? And we're doing it every day, you know, at, as soon as we get home from school too, you get home from school, you deliver papers. Now you, you know, can play or do homework or whatever else is mm-hmm. out there. But that, that first thing, 
I assume it's probably similar to kids who grow up with with a dog for which they're largely responsible. You mm. know, you could push it off onto the parents, but if the parents do a good job of of, an, of enforcing that responsibility of you got to feed the dog, you got to take the dog for a walk, you know, you, et cetera. That's, I, I would think it's probably similar in that. Um, mm. Just usually don't get paid for taking care of your own dog. So. Yeah, that's true. I mean, unless you get like, some type of allowance or something like that. Right. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and so like, if we, if we now fast forward, right. So you guys had that kind of maybe more of a formative experience with the paper route and kind of doing your own thing. You're filing your own taxes as a 10, 11 year old. Now fast forward a little bit to that first career, um, out of college. Like where did you start your career journey? Well, I was lost even outside of, uh, when I was getting ready to graduate undergrad, um, I knew I wanted to get into finance and I knew that I needed to do something other than the University of Akron, which is where I went. It's a great school, but it, it's not a feeder into Chicago or New York, you know. Um, so I was like, well, this is the time to go to grad school uh, and I need to get out of the state in order to do that. So naturally, I went to France. <laughs> wait, 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 naturally. <laughs> <laughs> There was a business school in France, um, and it seemed like the perfect opportunity to do this as a 22-year-old. You know, no strings holding me back. Mm. Now it's time to go. Uh, it was a great opportunity, a great experience. Met a lot of cool people, um, you know, gradually learned the language. Um, and, and, and it actually did work out that finally was the, you know, the, the kind of catalyst to get me into uh, finance a little bit. Hmm. Um, so the first job out then from there, after doing a few internships, was as a, they call it marketing. Uh, you're sitting on the trading floor of an investment bank and you're largely building PowerPoints and uh, some Excel back tests and things like that. But it was, it was fairly qualitative uh, for structured products so it was, it was the ultimate thing that we were selling. Some people call them exotic derivatives. Uh, it's multiple asset classes, you know, you're dealing with stocks, options, uh, volatility, even as an asset class, bonds, commodities, et cetera. Uh, so really interesting and intellectually challenging from that perspective. And as the marketing, all we're doing roughly is trying to distill these complex products down into narratives that make sense to institutional buyers. Um, so I learned a lot from the perspective of even how to build a story, um, how to present things cleanly, uh, you know, visually. Uh, I'm, I'm by no means a designer, but at least I can, I, I can, I think, make it so that it doesn't stress people out when they look at it and they don't mm -hmm. even know why. You know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, get into that, but that's that's a whole other conversation. Probably. Well, yeah, and I gotta imagine like having that as one of your first career experiences to take something that can be a very technical and kind of heady topic I and mean, exotic, exotic derivatives. I barely know what that is. And I was a finance major in college, but to be able to take something that that's, that's that complex. And then as your job, have it be something where you have to boil it down to its essence. Like that's going to be really valuable career experience. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. That was the most fun part of the job as well to, to really because you could kind of nerd out on it and see okay how short can I make this phrase or sentence to describe this one little feature of this product you know or um, how few bullet points can I make to, to, to get the gist across or what is the perfect diagram or image of historical performance that you know accentuates what I'm trying to uh, present about it so so it's, there's a lot of gamification a lot of editing i think mm -hmm. that, that you could get into on that which, which yeah got into so so it was it in this juncture of your career the very first time you know you're in investment banking was it at this point that you started to feel that spark of entrepreneurship or was that still relatively dormant were you still pretty like I'm yeah i was feeling in. spark there but then I, I quickly realized well there's there's nowhere to go from here though because mm. what am i going to be a powerpoint guru i mean there, there are mm. some that 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 do that but it's more from a you know a corporate messaging maybe side of things as well and there's some really good people that that, that do that but it didn't seem like it was a very um what's the word i'm looking for um obvious path at least from mm -hmm. you know for, for an entrepreneurial uh, uh path to take 
especially then if I'm still going to be focused on finance. And it's like, well, okay, so do I do this? Are, are banks my clients? Uh, that feels weird because they have full-time people. Why would they hire me? It makes no sense, you know. So I, I didn't see how that would work out in an, uh, yeah, in an obvious sense. So did you see this just as like a stepping stone then towards the next thing? Or were you kind of like, I'm just in investment banking until something else comes up? I really didn't know what I was getting into. I think even when I you know, started it out, I, I knew I wanted to be in derivatives and in structured products in some capacity. And so even when I was and then beginning to reevaluate, you know, the, the career path that I was on and seeing that there's not a whole lot of vertical room that I would have, uh, you know, from the marketing direction. Um, the first natural place to, to look would be, well, maybe I move into structuring or trading. Um, and, and, and that could work. Some people have made them move, though, usually for marketing, they would go into sales. And I'm not a sales guy at all. So, so, so that seemed like, well, well that, that also doesn't make sense for me. Um, likewise, there's always room in, in that particular role to do stuff around automation, you know, at least within the team. And so whenever we had opportunities to do that, I jumped on it. Um, and so then I'm working primarily in VBA, which is a horrible language and environment for programming, but it's still programming and it was still a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, so that kind of, you know, made me realize that, oh yeah, that's right. I used to kind of be into this when I was a kid mm -hmm. and I'm getting into the zone when I'm doing this, mm. maybe there's something there. And then the longer I looked into it from a career perspective, the more sense it made that this is the, the path that I need to, you know, pivot into. That's so interesting. So it was almost like even in investment banking is when you kind of had that like aha moment that maybe software development or that track is a better fit long-term for me. Yeah, because I went into investment banking, obviously, like a lot of kids go into, you know, for the same reason a lot of kids go into it, is like, well, I, I think there's a lot of money there and I want to make a lot of money and, mm -hmm. and, and also have an intellectual, you know, uh, challenge kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, especially from the mathematical side of things. Mm -hmm. But then that was, a, it, 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 was, it was really kind of over by the time I got there. I mean, there's still a lot of opportunities to make a lot of money, uh, depending on where you're at in the field. Um, but it wasn't just no matter where you were within the bank, you know, whereas that was more the case before. Now, bonuses are smaller, salaries are a little bit more uh, stringent. And plus, there was almost no path for me to make kind of an exponential um, growth in terms of income, in terms of wealth. Whereas with software development, again, that's something that is open to you, at least mm -hmm. theoretically. Mm -hmm. You can build tools that are, you know, infinitely scalable you can you can participate as a key stakeholder in startups and not to say that there's not room for finance guy as well but you need different skills from a finance guy probably more from a from a sales perspective as well at least in the sense of well i can i can get money if mm -hmm. you're the money guy you can bring money to the startup then you're extremely valuable but if you're just like i can manage money well yeah a lot of people can manage money it's it's mm -hmm. tricky it's, I, I hope i'm not stepping on on what you do because that's, no. that's not not what <laughs> i think you're totally spot on like i think i think what you're hitting on is there's a scalability factor that comes with software that just isn't it's not that it's not available in other categories or other areas but it's unique to software for sure i think you're yeah. absolutely right yeah so yeah. that, that really attracted me. And then, you know, there's the meritocratic aspect of it as well, which is if you're, if you're a good developer, you have the chance to really shine, I think. Mm -hmm. And that, that really uh, speaks to me, I think. Yeah. And now you were only in investment banking. You were there for a few years, but then you had a couple other career um, kind of stepping stones before you started uh, Bamboo, right? Yep. You wanted yeah, to so I, did, I was in the marketing role for about four years. Um, uh then switched uh well finally then i was able to um, get a great mentor within the bank who was able to introduce me to some key people uh, i worked my way down the chain and then you know basically learned even things that i didn't know that i needed to know in order to make a transition to software development as a professional um, i knew i could teach myself how to code but well even what language should I do if I want to continue with the job within this bank, which, you know, I already have a reputation built up. I should try to be able to transition internally. Um, I know the industry, so I should try to work within the industry. I know it pays well, so that's, you know, a good point as well. Um, 
where do I even start? You know, and so so I, I spoke to some people and they were giving me even the fundamentals, things that that blew my mind when they said it. You know, they're like, well, test driven development. So you write a test and you hope that it fails. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because I would think I'd want it to pass, you know. And so just getting those basic concepts in uh, it kind of directed my learning in those early months, I suppose. So then just spent, you know, nights and weekends, uh, you know, a couple hours here. Uh, a couple hours there, learning as much as I could. Watch a lot of Pluralsight videos. Read a lot of 1,500-page books, and and then in six months, I think I was ready to transition internally. We did that. Stayed within the same company. Uh, moved to a different team. Now I'm, you know, now I'm a full-time software dev, and I'm freaking out. And a couple of weeks before, like, I don't, am I an, an imposter? Are they going to mm -hmm. see through me and, and realize that I don't know what I'm talking about? You know, and. Mm -hmm. and uh, but that wasn't the case. So we, you know, we picked right up and, and started learning now even faster because I'm doing it on, on a regular basis. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so I stayed there for then that, that new role for about a year. Um, I continued learning, uh, spending my nights and weekends largely, uh, you know, to, to keep learning and try to see how fast I could I could ramp up in skills. I got to the point to where I thought I think I need. I think I need to surround myself with really good people and really good systems. We were kind of on a, it was kind of like a hacking team in the bank for, on purpose. You know, we were supporting a, a trading team directly. And so it's more about, well, how quickly can you get us some tools that just work? And so, okay, I get that. There's a, there's a need for that, but I wanted to learn proper software craftsmanship practices, you know, mm. uh, and, and from really good developers. So I started to think, well, maybe in six months or a year, uh, I'll, I'll have enough experience and I can reach out and try to do that. Uh, but then I was reached out to by a recruiter who was looking for somebody to go to a hedge fund. Um, I looked into the hedge fund. They seemed pretty legit. They seemed like they had a lot of really, you know, top notch talent there. Um, and so interviewed there a couple different times, uh, three hours each time, uh, one hour per person. I, I interviewed with one guy who got Forbes 30 under 30 the next year. One guy had a PhD in quantum computing. One guy was like a 25-year-old, but he graduated from Oxford in philosophy. So naturally, he's a software developer at a hedge fund. Uh, but he also, even prior to that, he was like the, the number two in a statewide math competition in the state of Florida, you know, or something. Brilliant people. So I'm sitting there and I've never felt dumber in my life. I thought, this is where I need to be. This is where I'm going to learn as mm -hmm. fast as I can. Um, because early on, you know, you, you need to learn those fundamentals and, 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 and you got to get them instilled early or 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 you're gonna miss the boat kind of thing it's the same it's with kids and i'm always freaking out i got a 15 month old so i'm always like ah, he's getting spoiled i can't let him get spoiled and we're like he's, he's not even four yet you know I think <laughs> four to really drill that into him but uh yeah anyway i'm, I'm going off on tangent no that's that's really good i think something that you had said though you know and and i think this is worth highlighting in your journey towards where you are today you were self-taught um, and you also mentioned that experience of kind of that imposter syndrome, especially with that first full-time role. What was, uh, really quick, what was the language that you started off with? Um, C-sharp. Okay. So we started in C-sharp. I, I, was, I wasn't sure if we were going to do Java or C-sharp. I didn't know what the bank was doing. I knew that both were popular languages. So, you know, that was one of the things that I got out of my initial interviews. And I was like, yeah, do C-sharp. Like, okay. Um, then, um, so yeah, so I, I tell people C sharp is my native language, um, and it's I, I love it. I think it's a I think it's an awesome language. They're doing a lot of good stuff with it lately in the last couple of years too, with the later versions of .NET and the later versions of C sharp. So I'm I'm excited to see that the community is continuing to improve things and make it better. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, well, and and that that was actually going to be my follow up question is because you, you mentioned the .NET because C sharp it goes like like C sharp was like one of the the first well not one of the first it was was it C and then it was C sharp and then .NET is that right am I remembering that correctly .NET is a framework uh, around C sharp so they live oh, together yes. but it's more like .NET is the libraries and and things and C sharp is the language itself okay. Okay, that's right. Because that's then, you know, further down the road, you ended up kind of, or right now, even you're kind of specializing more in the .NET 
space, which is not like not like every software developer is in that space, even though, you know, what is it? Isn't Microsoft largely run yeah. off of .NET? So yeah. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting ecosystem. Um, where who I come across, it seems that most developers, especially self-taught developers, are JavaScript guys. JavaScript, right. maybe TypeScript, you know, because they 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 live together. Which I love TypeScript. It's pretty, it's close. I feel like it's the front end equivalent to C sharp. And you know, C sharp affectionados are going to get mad at me for that. So, <laughs> no, you can front end with C sharp. Yeah, I know, but but let's be you know let's be real. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I see a lot of JavaScript because um, it's, you know, front end focus and that's where most uh, self-taught developers, I think, are uh, from what I see are, are in. Um, we've gotten work just for being focused on .NET, which I always thought was strange because in my world where I started, everybody's using .NET, you know, institutions, I think, mm -hmm. are more .NET, C-sharp people. You know, yeah, they're Java or C-sharp, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, but then outside of that, um, outside of institutions, there's that's where the jobs are that. Yeah, that's that's super cool. So back back to what you were saying though, as you were making this journey as a self-taught developer in particular, I think something else that you had said that was really worth kind of calling out, which was you just did it, right? Like I, I think I've I've seen so many, especially self-taught software developers, who because of imposter syndrome think the remedy is to just learn more. But in your experience, you're like, yeah, I'm going to learn. I'm going to do a really, really good job learning this. But at the end of the day, I just have to do it. Like I have to routinely practice this as a full-time software developer. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to really create my foundation. There's so much more to you know, being a software developer than just writing good code. That's that, And that's what you learn actually on the job. You know, it's like, hey, spin up a server. I did not learn that in my plural site intro to C sharp courses. You know, I have no idea what you're talking about here. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's it, it's it's really important. But you know, I got lucky in that sense too. I think uh, uh, just being able to make that transition internally um, was was very helpful to that. If I didn't get that, I was still fully prepared to make it happen. So in that case, I was going to need to find a, a more official break in my career. And so to do that, I was just going to bite the bullet and sign up for a boot camp, go through the boot camp, get a job that way, you know, trying to be the, the shining star student in, in the camp or whatever, and then get started professionally. I knew that once I got started professionally, I would be able to, you know, grow from there. But, but it, was, it was just, can somebody trust me to do this? And then let's go, you know, and I'll trust, I'll make you, I'll make you proud, you know, kind of, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Which is which is great, and and thank goodness you had that opportunity presented to you to be that full time software developer. Also working with a team that was like leagues ahead of you, like really really sharp. These, these guys were amazing. I've I've it's it was it was the dream job, hmm. literally. You know, I mean, I I uh, it's something that I looked forward to in terms of work environment my entire life. Um, everybody, everybody is competent across the organization, even to the level of, you know, HR and onboarding. It was a well-oiled machine. It's amazing, amazing. So from from there all the way up, it's just everybody knew their job. Everybody did their job as as, as exactly as they're supposed to. Mm. Never had to worry about, you know, is my job going to be impacted because somebody else didn't do theirs? No, they did theirs. So then on the flip side, your your only worry is, Crap, am I doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing? Because I know people are counting on me and they're expecting, you know, that not quite perfection, but at least the utmost of professionalism, mm -hmm. uh, which is a great pressure to have, though, too. So it, it you know, really forces you to kind of up your game as well. Um, oh, yeah. Learned a lot of techniques from them, learned a lot of ways to actually break the rules, even. Uh, you know, you learn you learn these basic rules as, you know, as you're going through early software development instruction. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you, you know, solid principles and blah, 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 and whatever. And yes, they're important, but the, the ultimate goal is, can you write software that brings value to business and that people can understand? Because ultimately mm -hmm. the people are the expensive pieces of, of the puzzle. And so if they can't understand your code, it's kind of worthless because now nobody else is going to be able to change it or maintain it. And mm -hmm. so point, you know. 
this might be a bit of a callback. So I, I apologize for not prepping you for this already. Um, but can you remember, like, or, is there a specific story you remember of like when you received feedback, um, especially on the code that you had written from some of these guys uh, that just stands out to you as like, oh, this was like a really helpful lesson on my software development journey. Ooh. Um, nothing really specific, though. Though I, I, I did have some failures, I think, and 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 you, we we still have that as we go along. Um, again, in terms of the readability perspective, in particular. So, in my, I stayed at the hedge fund for a year, uh, real quick before I moved back to Ohio. I missed Ohio. I missed family, and uh, even from a foundational level, as a person, I felt like it was really important for me to be close to family. Uh, and, and so why, why am I being a hypocrite by living apart? Uh, so anyway, but while I was there for that year, maybe about halfway through, I was working on a project and there were some decisions that I made on it, trying to be, you know, more agile and, and get the value out quicker. Um, corners were cut and, you know, I'm thinking, ah, I should probably do it differently, you know, like this instead of that, but I didn't, um, and, and got to the end and then, um, it's fine. It worked, you know, and I knew how to navigate the code in order to modify it and maintain it as necessary. Uh, but then right after I left, <laughs> this is bad. You don't want to do this as a software developer. It's like the worst thing you can do. Right after I left, um, I, I reached out to the guys again and, and they were teasing me about this particular piece of software. They're like, yeah, we tried to get in there. We couldn't figure it out, so we just kind of abandoned it. Like, oh, oh no! That's the worst I get. I've gotten other compliments, you know, along the way where people are, you know, coming into things that I built, and they're like, "It's perfect. I knew exactly where to go to maintain mm. it. I didn't even have to think about it. It's super mm. easy. We're still using it today. It never breaks. Blah blah blah. You know, that's the good stuff. That's what you want to hear. But but you get both. Now you have the contrast, and it's like, okay, I want this one only, and not that one. Get away from right. here. I don't want to hear that again. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that probably shapes a lot of your approach with bamboo. Big time, big time. And I, I tell the guys, you know, when whenever we're doing code reviews, if I'm reviewing them, if they're reviewing me, obviously accuracy needs to be there. If it's not correct or, you know, then, then it's worthless. But right after that, which should usually be taken care of with, you know, a couple tests here and there. The very next step is I don't I don't know what you're doing here. Can you either explain it and maybe I'm just dumb right now because it's 5 p.m. or maybe it's not clear and we can really simplify it and use some kind of a simpler approach. You know, there's too many layers of, re of indirection or uh, there's uh, you're using an interface and you don't need an interface because it's a simple application. Let's just have a concrete class mm -hmm. and run it, you know, kind of thing uh, that breaks, you know, the, the rules in, you know, uh, like we talked about before. So. Uh, different things like that, but I, we focus really heavily on is our code easy to understand because mm -hmm. that's what saves our clients money. Number mm -hmm. one, we're not going to be around forever. We're we're hired on by companies, and so when we leave, they need to have something that they feel good about that they can use. I don't want to leave them with you know a pile of junk that they have to get rid of because then well that's not going to be good for us long term, and I'm. Anybody who's in business for, you know, and seriously needs to be in it for the long term. We're creating relationships, we're building relationships. I'm going to get a lot more value out of past clients if they can refer me to other future clients than I am to just, you know, slash and burn kind of thing along the way. So that's it's a really important piece. And then there's the ethical part as well, which is an important part for me. We 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 value integrity within the business, which includes writing clean and maintainable code because it's the right thing to do, you know? So, mm. so yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, and and it reminds me too, it's like, th also maybe the third category would be like, you know, if other software developers come in, you know, they might not specialize in .NET, they might not specialize in, you know, the specific yep. languages that you guys specialize in. If you have a reputation of having really clean code and yep. having it be really easy to pick up, they're going to refer when when it's outside of their wheelhouse they'll be like i've got a great net developer exactly. i want to bring them on exactly. so that's another big part of clean code too yeah yeah so um i want to better understand and i'd like our listeners to better understand the pivot point 
right? So like, I, I think as we've heard your story so far, it's really clear, like you have always been on this trajectory. It's not like one day you woke up and you're like, I want to be a software developer. It's like, no, you had a lot of like little experiences that kind of edged you towards this. But I imagine there was something, there was a pivot point that that ultimately launched you into starting Bamboo. And this was about three, maybe three and a half years ago, um, maybe even four years ago. But can you bring us back to that time and talk to us about what that pivot was, what inspired it, and uh, yeah, what ultimately caused the launch of Bamboo? Do you mind if I step back a little bit further? Because there's, yeah. there's kind of two pivot points. I would say that's the mechanical pivot point. That's when the the opportunity was concretely presented and, and we went with it. And I'm, you're not going to forget that question. So we'll, 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 we'll leave it aside and you'll get back to it. Perfect. The, the real pivot point, even for software development and Bamboo, hmm. came five years before, well, four years before, really. Um, and that was that they, they were always coinciding. It was always it wasn't just software development. It was always software development and bamboo. Not necessarily. I didn't have bamboo name yet, but mm -hmm. but it was pretty close, actually, even at that point. So there's a story Zig Ziglar tells it where uh, and there's, there's other variations of it. But in this one, it's um, you plant a bamboo seed and uh, you don't see anything for the first year. You see maybe a little tiny sprout, you know, and then you water it. Next year you water it, nothing. Next year you water it, nothing. Next year you water it, nothing. Finally, on the fifth year, it shoots up, you know, like X number of feet. I don't know. We'll we'll exaggerate, say 60 feet in six weeks or something like that, you know. And the reason it could do that is because it's been gradually planting its roots and developing a really solid foundation underground, which you can't see. Mm -hmm. um, but now that it has that, it can shoot up, and now it's a full fledged, you know, bamboo plant. Um, so that was that was around the beginning of my epiphany to transition into software and to actually do it. Um, that's where I got the five year even goal at that point. So I, I thought, well, yeah, I think in five years I can develop enough expertise and enough experience if I really focus on getting good experience and, and continuing to build my knowledge in order to do something independently, um, at least as a freelance contractor. You know, I should be able to do that. Um, but then, so so the the real pivot point though at that time was I was helping my brother move, uh, hanging out. So I was hanging out with him and hanging out with my dad, hanging out with their family. And this was at the tail end of a big gift of an introspection period that I was given in my life, which was at the age of 26, after about nine years of living in New York initially and starting my career, I was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, so from there, I, well, my world's flipped upside down, moved back to Cleveland to get treatment, uh, stayed there for about a year, bone marrow transplant, everything went exactly as you would hope it to go, given the circumstances, which was great. Um, finally moved back to New York because I was like, I'm a man. I don't want to live in my mom's house. <laughs> I got to get back into this. I need to be productive. Let's go. I don't think I was quite ready yet. I was still getting transfusions, like uh, you know, on, a, on like a weekly basis, but but I was good enough. So let's, let's go. So I get back to New York, and then you know now I'm really looking at things from a totally different perspective because it's like, you know, in the Middle Ages they used to have these things they carry around. They call them memento mori. So that means remember you will die, mm -hmm. and it changes your perspective when you remember that you will you, you will die. I mean, mm -hmm. we all have that. It's coming. It might be soon, it might be late, but it's going to happen. And so hmm. are you going to sit around today or are you going to do something that, that might matter a little bit, you know? And so, so, so that began to greatly influence my decisions and my perspectives and, and my outlook. And well, what did I want to get out of this? Do I want to hmm. be a W2 the whole time? There's, there's reasons to do that. There's really good reasons to do that, even if you know that you're going to die because, you know, you'd be working on some other project that isn't dependent on career, whether it be building a strong family, then a W-2 is a great opportunity to give you some stability. I would argue that I have even more stability now, but that's, that's you know, there's different perspectives there. Yeah. Um, but that was really the catalyst, um, mm. being able to think through these things, get this perspective uh, and, 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 and think, well, Gosh, I, I have a second chance at life. What am I? What am I going to do with it? I, I should probably take a little bit more control over things, uh, you know, in a way. So anyway, so that was that. That's what started Bamboo was was that decision even to go into software. It was based around the idea that I want to start my own company. It should be software. I can live anywhere. 
I can work from home if I want, which means I have more contact with my children, which mm-hmm. should be good for their development, which I didn't have any children at the, at the time. Obviously, my oldest is you know a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of this played into it. Um, and so, yeah, so now going to your question. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was about four years after that, and I had all these goals written down on, on my phone, and I would check them every now and then during uh, walks that I would take, you know, at work for a little breaks to clear my head and, and mm-hmm. get some inspiration. Um, the goal was five years uh, to, to start something. So, so during the fourth year, I was planning, or I guess during the fifth year, prior to the end of the fifth year, I was planning to start dabbling in freelance platforms and things like that, you know, to, to, to see like, okay, can I do this? And how much money can I make with this? And can I actually make this jump and make it economically? Um, Top towel was one of them that was on my radar of, you know, places to join. Um, but I didn't think I was making enough money where I was at. And I was like, well, this is stupid. I could probably make a lot more money at least during the last year or two years or whatever. And, and so, let's let's do that uh, so i'm looking around for jobs and i'm reaching out to former managers you know for references i reached out to my former boss at the hedge fund and i said hey i'm looking for jobs can i use you as a reference he says yeah of course no problem he said um, by the way i have a line i might have a line on five to 15 hours a week of freelance work if you're interested in that because i'm looking at these things and my goals all the time it's like well that's even more what i'm looking for so mm. let's talk about this um, so that turned into my first client. Uh, they are still a client of ours. They're one of our best clients, one of our long, well, they are our longest client. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's all I can say about that. Well, so with that, then I started doing a little bit, you know, while I'm still working, obviously, um, nights and weekends and, and stuff like that, which is great because I'm still used to doing work like that. Yeah. You know, at least, you know, whether I'm studying or now I'm getting paid for it. Um, then after a couple months doing that uh, purely freelance, and I started to think, okay, when am I going to be ready to make this jump? So I had two goals. I said, well, I need to get on the top tile platform at least. It's a you know, it's a it's a competitive platform to get onto. Um, so I thought if I get on it, I'll at least be able to get more work theoretically. Mm-hmm. That turned out to be true. Um, so let me get on that, and I'll feel good. And let me see if I can talk to this client and say, if you can guarantee me. 15 hours a week for three months at, at, at a low rate that I was charging at the time, that would be enough cash to replace my cash flow. Doesn't cover my taxes, but I was mm-hmm. like, but, but it's temporary. And I knew it would be temporary, but at least I can continue to pay my bills. That would be what I'd need. And then I'll make the leap and go from there. Which I would be remiss if I didn't ask. One of the questions one of my listeners had asked me is he's like, can you get like the actual numbers? So do, what was your initial rate when you were starting out? My initial rate with this company was 75 an hour. Uh, that's pretty good. It is pretty good. And I'm, I think it, it helped and it was possible because I was coming in with the backing of this former manager from the hedge fund. There you go. So there's, there's a lot of your network played a big role in helping you not only get the door open, but also get, get a pretty decent rate for a first time freelancer. I'd say. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was huge. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm sorry. I I cut you off. You were in the middle of of talking about how that, okay. You were, I think you were in the middle of of talking about how that, um, that first freelance contract was going, you got that at the $75 an hour rate. It was maybe a little bit less than what you were getting paid in your employment, but you saw it as the stepping stone that you needed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that, that's it. Yeah. I saw it as a stepping stone. That was, that was enough to, to, to launch me to make me feel comfortable enough to launch. And then, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, and if this flops in three months, and I go get a job. Mm, yes. <laughs> I, I know I'm good. I know I'm good enough to get a job. Yes. So what's what's the worry? I have right. this huge floor, I think, in, in software development generally, and especially if you're decent, then then there's absolutely nothing to worry about, about quitting your job temporarily and, you know, going off and doing your own thing. The only thing you have to worry about is, okay, is your cash covered? You know, and that, that's it. Mm. So once I had that covered, it was like, let's go. I'm, I'm doing this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a certain number of months? Like, did you have a goal? Like, I want to have six months expenses covered or like, what was your runway? I guess. <laughs> I didn't have much of a runway because <laughs> I just, I just bought a duplex and I was, oh. I was fixing that up and I spent a lot of cash. I pretty much blew through my cash, uh, getting, getting that up and running. 
Uh, so I'm living in one half, you know, because I'm a single guy at the time and then running out the other, which I thought was a smart financial decision. I still, still think it was roughly smart, though I probably should have been a little more careful with the cash in that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have much of a runway at all. And so that's why it was important that I had that guarantee in the form of a contract, which mm-hmm. was still, I think, counts, you know, for a three yeah. months of a runway. Um, yeah. So, so if, if you ask me that, I'd say, yeah, three months, that's my runway. That's great. I love that. Three months. I've heard some people say, yeah, anywhere from three to six months is a really good runway for that first launch out, but that's good. I, I would, yeah. Cause especially if you're only going to be a freelancer, which is probably how you should start anyway, you know, rather than trying to build up this entire business that you don't know what you're doing yet. Um, because, because you're a software developer, your runway can be much shorter because even in bad markets and right now, I apparently is a bad market for software developers. A guy I know, awesome developer, awesome .NET guy, uh, was just laid off from his company. They were doing a big restructuring, getting rid of senior people. You know, he's he's an architect, .NET architect, um, really really good. And so he's freaking out, and he's you know reaching out. He's like, Mike, you know what, what, what you know what should I do? Do you have any contacts? Can you introduce me to you know whatever? And I'm talking to him, and I'm like, I have no idea why you're so worried because you're going to have a job, at least one, probably three lined up within two to three weeks mm-hmm. but you don't know that and that's kind of mm-hmm. funny to me you know but once you know that then that's the key then you're like well i can do whatever then because right. if it doesn't work then i go back back to here and we're good to go you know and i mean there's obviously risk because you're jumping around too much you don't want to do that but if you want to try something or want to look good i think too uh, you know in your resume if you sell it well you'd be mm-hmm. like well you know, I wanted to do this thing. So I, so I tried this, I went off, I took a risk and, you know, rah, 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 we did that. I learned this and this is where I'm at now. I realized, you know what, I do like the stability of a W2. So I'm back. Um, I, you know, I don't know, but. I think that's, it's such healthy perspective. You know, that, that piece that you just shared where recognizing you could always go back to the W2 job. I mean, that was kind of the aha moment for me as well. It's like, if I really need to, I can always just go back. Like that's not an issue. Um, but something I, I, my my cousin is not a software developer, but he's always been uh, on the business side of things uh, around software and, and from a you know consulting perspective, usually public sector even. And so he told me even recently, he said, "Man, once I got to the point in my career to where I wasn't worried about being fired, my career just went took off." Mm-hmm. Because now you can be honest, you can do the things that you know need done, and people find that honesty, if it's good honesty, mm-hmm. um, uh, refreshing, very valuable, et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, go down the list. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's uh, that's great. I, I, this morning, actually, while I was on my bike ride, um, I was listening to Keith Ferrazzi, Ferrar- I don't can't remember his, his last name. Anyway, he wrote the book, Never Eat Alone. Um, it was recommended to me. So I'm listening to the audiobook. And one of the things he talks about, he, he was just talking about in the chapter I listened to today, was he's like, don't just network when you need something. Yeah. Be building your network all along. And I think what's really cool about your story is I think it really highlights that, right? Like you had that relationship with it was your investment banking manager, right? That that was like your first kind of like the, the, the hedge fund, yeah. The hedge fund, yes. The the hedge fund, the hedge fund manager. So you were still like connected with him, networked with him. He was ultimately your first client, and, yeah. and and it wasn't something where you were necessarily going out and like asking for it. It was just like you had your feelers out because you had your goals set out. I mean, this is like all the stuff that he talks about in his book, but I think it's a really great example where it's like I think sometimes the shortfall that some you know maybe more technical software developers that are great at their craft miss out on when it comes to launching their businesses they think that they can do this without building their network or nurturing their network all along i have uh, as soon as i moved back to ohio i reached out to two of my favorite professors even we just started getting lunches every now and then you know just just to just to kind of when i say shoot the shit or is that yeah go go for it (laughs) this will be an explicit Uh, episode (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i don't think i got any business from any of that but it's yeah it's it's, you get practice talking to people Mm -hmm. even from a you know from a pure functional perspective even there's there's a lot of benefit you get practice talking to people you get practice um um well you you learn things from other people when you talk to them that might be useful then you know down the road or it might be interesting to other people that you're talking to who might be more directly beneficial for your business network and things like that. 
I um I recently got credit cards for my my team and, and for this exact purpose. I was like, guys, go to lunch, go Ooh. to coffee, take people out. I don't wow. care if they're prospects or not, just just I mean, they should be kind of tangentially related to the business, right. but 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 just go do it because yeah. I, I don't even I'm not expecting even to get business from it. Maybe ever, at least not now. But what I do need my team to be really good at is really good at talking because mm -hmm. we have a different, I think, ultra lean model that I'm trying to prove works um, where I don't I don't want to have a middleman between my dev uh, team and the client. Mm -hmm. Want that communication to be as tight as possible, as frictionless as possible in order for that to work. Well, we need to be able to talk and, mm -hmm. and you know, I hire people with that perspective already. So if, if, if I don't feel like you can handle being a consultant rather than just a, you know, a, a code monkey, it's not gonna work out. Mm -hmm. But if you even start from that perspective, well, now let's, let's build those skills. And so one of the ways to do that is just go to lunch with people and talk strangers <laughs> you, you you know what honestly you might be recreating the or like developing the new venture of full stack developers before we're thinking about full stack developers mm. in terms of like the full tech stack yeah maybe what we really need is a full stack developer that can also handle the sales the sales engineering the like um, you know what i mean maybe that's going to be your guys's maybe that's going to be the bamboo thing is the true full stack developer true full, i like that this is this is pretty good this is the best thing i got out of this talk the whole time <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome well this actually brings up a, a really good segue um and and there's just like so many more questions i told you ahead of time i'm like we probably won't get through all the questions but i did have one we can do it again I mean, we could just do series number two. This would be great. Let's, let's make it happen. Um, but maybe one like second to last question I will ask you, and it relates to sales and marketing, because I think that's like the more conversations I have with software developers and software development agencies in particular, the more I realize how common of a pain point sales and marketing can be. You know, even for people who come in with a little bit of that marketing experience, I would say like you probably have even a little bit more of a leg up in that realm than even some of the other devs that I've talked with. But I would love to pick your brain because, you know, you've been doing this for the last three, a little over three years. You've been through the pandemic um, and you guys are still going strong. Like you just didn't you just hire your third developer recently, somewhat recently, the last couple months? Uh, beginning of the year. Beginning of the year. Yeah. So like clearly like you guys are doing something right you're growing you're going in the right direction so what i wanted to to have you share a little bit more about if you if you feel comfortable with is like talk to us about the practicals of the first few years specifically in the building of the business and that tightrope walk of communicating a focused niche but also not turning away good business that's that's the tricky part that's the tricky part. Um, I had something on my mind that I was going to say before. Oh, I, I and, and I, I, I'm terrible at sales. We talked about that before. I, I think anyway. Um, I haven't really done it in bamboo, though. So, I mean, in a way, have kind of, but, but not really. Like I've never thought, okay, let me put on my sales hat and let me go, let me go make sales. You know, mm -hmm. it's just things just kind of fell into place organically over time, which is, you know, something that you can rely on to an extent. Um, you can also rely on to an extent only if you're doing good work and people are going to come back to you and keep using you. So usually we'll, we'll get connected with a client and we just kind of stick with them for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's great, you know, but, but then in the back of my mind, I'm always nervous because I'm like, well, but now we depend on them. And if they, you know, they can decide to cut us off at any point for any reason, if that happens, I'm like, oh crap, well, what am I going to do? You know? Mm -hmm. So then a lot of my focus this entire year is geared toward this question of how can I build a sales machine? And of course I approach it like an engineer rather than a person to just go out. But, but I, but I need to think of it like that, you know? So mm -hmm. part of it is like, well, maybe less of a, of a machine and more of like a farm, I guess it, mm -hmm. it sounds a little bit more. Oh, know, yeah. Bit. That's so a, I, I think, think that's a good way of framing it. You got to go out, you got to plant seeds, you got to cultivate the ground a little bit, maybe clear some trees and some brush, you know, and stuff. Mm. Um, you got to get your balance. You know, you can't you can't overemphasize one thing or another and your ground's going to get barren real quick. Um, so that's the slash and I guess the slash and burn, you know, perspective or whatever. But yeah, so I, I'm trying to think of it in terms of that. Um, and, and how can I how can I build this this 
ecosystem that kind of you know sustains itself. When I was thinking about moving into software development, going way back, uh, you know, I, one of the things that I told myself was, I was like, okay, if I could always automate myself out of a job, I think I'll always have a job. That's pretty nice to think about, and that's what kind of what we were talking about earlier. Software developer, if you if you're if you're good, you're fine. Like, don't worry about it. You know, you you'll you'll be fine. Um, but then, as a, on the business side of things, I, I, I'm thinking now, okay, if I can always make sales, then I'll always have clients. Or if I can always get new clients, then I'll always have clients. And, and so that's that's the piece that we're working on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to do that, you know, there's yeah, there's systems you need to have in place and stuff. You know, and you need to get out talking to people. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. there's, there's not a lot of shortcuts there. Uh, you'll get presented with a lot of shortcuts if you have the word founder in your profile on LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. And it always sounds interesting and enticing. It's like, yeah, it'd be great if I could just give you, you know, one, two, three, four thousand dollars a month and you give me clients, you know, guaranteed. But but I haven't found that. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't. It hasn't made enough sense to bite the bullet on that. And I don't think it ever will. Ever mm-hmm. will. What I would love and I think what a lot of software developers, especially with small agencies in my position, would love is if somebody out there filled the gap in the market which is somebody who provided actual value to us rather than lead gen can you mm. provide me client gen mm. <laughs> and and put and put your money behind it you know put mm-hmm. put stake your claim saying that i know that i can give you clients i know that clients that you get are so valuable that i'm willing to put some risk on the line in order to do that what does that look like? Well, it looks like revenue sharing. If you if yeah. you do that, if you if you truly do that well enough, and if you can curate the agencies that you're working with, knowing that they're quality, knowing that they're not going to make you look bad when you send them clients, and if you get a decent enough um, you know contract with them, which I think we're pretty generous in our referrals. So if anybody wants to refer something to us, we'll hook you up. Mm-hmm. Um, then you could build a pretty good business again from a farm perspective because mm-hmm. now you know you just start sending clients to people and then collecting paychecks you know on a, yeah. if you know that you can give them value so yeah. i'm looking for somebody to do that and if they do then here take my money that yeah. you give me <laughs> right right and it's such a it's a, it's a low, low risk way of doing it i i think yeah. i'm so glad that you said what you said about you know how many times we get messages if you have founder in your title you're going to get barraged oh, by man. people all the time i've experienced that myself and it's totally that it's like if pay us you know x number of thousands of dollars and we guarantee you x number of booked appointments and i'm like that was especially a a big red flag to me as i was i'm less active now in in development and in billing hours on a regular basis i still do you know Mm -hmm. a considerable amount but but not like it wasn't my 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 life like you know when i was on the freelancing side um but when I'm a freelancer and I'm getting approached by these people, like, I don't think you understand what you're trying to sell me because you're guaranteeing that you're going to take away guaranteed income of mine and you want me to pay you for that privilege. So now I'm not billing clients and I'm paying you money to not bill my clients. And I don't know if the people you're sending me are actually going to be, you know, come clients or not. And if they do, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. So I'm already fully booked. You know, I need to think about, well, how can I build this machine of an agency rather than, you know, just optimizing my own personal time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyway, we get into that. That's 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 really good. Well, I think one of my biggest takeaways, and I'm glad that you shared just openly and honestly about where you're at. You mentioned, you know, three years in, it sounds like the the number one successful mechanism of business growth has continued to be relationship creation yeah but i i, I didn't finish that i'm sorry oh, all right yeah keep going um it, so it's not just network uh but it, it needs to be it needs to be the tailored network um and so that's mm. the second piece of you know this year for bamboo is we're, we're trying to really really aggressively focus in on a, a narrow niche uh, you know niche that's needed so that's that's where kind of cloud and health tech are merging um and, and so we're you know we're getting into the networks we're getting into the technologies we're getting into the standards and things like that trying to you know get certifications and get additional knowledge where we can find gaps um but it's 
already we've just just started on it uh publicly uh, this this last month in july and already there's you know significant traction just being able to say this is what we do this is what we focus on we're not we're not custom software developers it's like okay i can i can get on upwork and find somebody to do that you know it's a dime a dozen less than that even. Mm -hmm. um but if if i'm looking for somebody who, who knows healthcare who knows healthcare interoperability who's you know certified in fire for example mm -hmm. that's hir for listeners who don't know um then well, okay, then that's a huge leg up because I'm not getting Joe Schmo who needs to learn all of that. I mean, he may be a great developer, but he needs to learn all that. I need somebody to hit the ground running, knows the industry, knows the quirks, who knows, you know, whatever. Makes it much easier for me on the business side as well to tailor, you know, your marketing, your outreach. Who are you even talking to? What events are you going to? You know, because all of these things cost money and it takes time. And so, you might as well focus on one thing at least to start in order to, to you know make your efforts as efficient and as effective as possible so mm -hmm. that's probably the biggest thing maybe even more important than networking because you can't really effectively do networking before you have the niche oh i love that you said that thank you for saying that i'm going to emphasize and reiterate it networking is great targeted networking is so much better and you're giving a great example of how clarifying your niche, clarifying your ICP can really serve to help your networking efforts, right? Like one of the things I always tell people whenever I hop on and they're like, so what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm a fractional CFO for software development agencies, yep. for bootstrap tech organizations, yep. right? Like now that it goes from, oh, I know people who need finance to, oh yeah, I know that one guy who's in my co-working space, who's a software developer, who's looking for a finance guy, right? Like it's so much easier to make progress in your network. Can, can I jump in there and, and yeah. script and ask you a question? Yeah. I, you probably explained what you do on your own podcast a bit yeah. before. And I know we've talked about it uh, at least, you know, a few months back, but I don't really remember exactly where that fits in uh, and, and but i'm always curious because you know i mean we're you know we we interact on linkedin and it's a great mm -hmm. time i think you're a great guy but i just mm -hmm. i just don't I, I don't i don't i forget how that fits mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so the thing i love is working with software development agencies in particular at the inflection point of growth because it is really hard to manage your way from 500,000 to a million dollars and do so without totally going bankrupt. There's this tightrope walk of adding capacity while adding revenue. You can't sell a bunch more uh, contracts without capacity. You also can't add a bunch of capacity without properly planning your revenues. Yeah. And so that, that tightrope walk is the the financial forecasting planning and forecasting that we do cash flow forecasting is another huge element of the service offering where on a weekly basis we're making sure that you have very clear visibility to the number of days you have until your bank account is forecasted to hit zero dollars for the first time mm -hmm. there's something that alleviates or like opens you up to taking better calculated risks when you go from i might run out of cash soon ish to in 197 days, I will hit $0. Like you get that type of clarity, you're gonna take such better risks in your business that's gonna help you guide your path towards the million dollar plus mark. And so then that's dynamic, I imagine as well, the, the you know, the, the, the forecast of days to zero. That's right, yep, and it changes. I mean, because the other thing that we do is we work directly with your sales pipeline and we, we take a weighted average approach, or we take a weighted approach, depending on where you are, where, where each of your prospects is in the stages of your sales pipeline, to give you a very realistic depiction of what we project your cash flows to be. Because it's not fair to just say, we're only gonna look at what's contracted value. We wanna also consider the fact that you have some stuff and that's in pipeline. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's no, I can see that being pretty valuable. Yeah. So I, I just doubling back on what you'd said, though, about networking, because I think that's something that we we lose out on, especially for those who are listening, who are more of a technical mindset, right? Like you're brilliant in your craft. These are some areas that need to just grow and develop, which is what are you doing to connect better with those maybe in your 
ideal client persona. Um, but at the very least, like work on building that network because you're a prime example, Michael, of how because you are well networked and because you have relationships, you have much more likelihood that eventually you're going to land, you know, right in front of the right person at the right time. So I think that's that is a great, great example. So I know we're, we're going over. Do you have a couple more minutes to wrap yeah, things up? Yeah, Perfect. Fun. Okay. Well, one of the last questions I want to ask, and I love to ask all my guests on the show is I want you to talk for a moment to that probably software developer who's in corporate America right now. Um, either that person or maybe somebody else who just started their software development agency. And what I want you to do is I want you to just speak right to them and give them some words of wisdom from your experience, from the things you've learned, what, you know, speaking to your, your younger self, what would you say to that person uh, where they're at right now? From what perspective? It could be anything from, um, you know, from your own experience that would help them, you know, along wherever they are. Again, if you're talking to somebody in corporate America, who's wanting to move into owning their own, their own business at some point, tech business at some point, or somebody who just started out, you know, think about the mistakes that you made, things that you had to learn the hard way that you would just give them words of wisdom on. To early agency owners or freelancers who want to build an agency. I think that's perfect. Yeah. Cash. Have cash ready to go. A lot mm -hmm. of it if you want to start expanding because it takes a lot of cash to hire people. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that caught me by surprise, especially if you're going through recruiters, which is usually the best approach and even will save you money in the long run. Um, but, you know, they're charging 15 to 25 percent of the annual salary right away. Mm -hmm. A lot of money. You hire somebody for 100K and you're looking at a minimum, you know, $15,000 cash that you need to be able to pay them. Plus, once you hire somebody, now they're a W-2 on your payroll and you have to pay them with cash. You can't pay them with a credit card. You can't pay them, you know, with anything like that. You need cash. So it caught me off guard a little bit. Luckily, my wife works. She has a decent job uh, and we had, you know, some savings built up by then. Uh, and so for the first couple of months after hiring my first employee, uh, I surprised her by telling her that, I'm not going to take any cash out of the business, any cash for the first couple months, because not only am I, I mean, I was able to swallow the, the recruiter fee, you know, with a credit card, but, but then the payroll was a big thing. It was like, oh, gosh, you know, what if my clients pay late? Mm -hmm. That happens. Mm -hmm. You'll need cash now right. to pay your employees. So what are you going to do? You can do things eventually, like, you know, try to secure a credit line in order to help you with that. But if you're new, good luck with that too, you know, so, so mm -hmm. cash, build it up yeah. and hold on to it for a minute. Um, that's the new agency owners. The second thing, if you're a W2 and you're thinking about, can I do this? Can I not do this? You're, you're a software developer, man. Your floor is way up here. Mm -hmm. And once you do freelancing for six months, if you can get, you know, a decent amount of work for six months, you can even you drop your rate down you're charging 50 bucks an hour and you're filling your time, you're going to be making decent money even still. Um, but you'll be able to ratchet that up pretty quickly once you get some experience and get a couple projects knocked out as well. If you do that and you don't like it or it flops for some reason, then you have this awesome experience and you can take it back and get another job, probably paying more money than you were making before, you know? So, mm -hmm. There's not there's not a lot of risk overall with that. Hmm. I, I don't have I don't have a ton in my bank account. I never have. I, I spent too much money on college. So, <laughs> you know, but, but you you're able to survive that. I mean, it's it's hmm. yeah. That's the, that's the only thing I could say there is don't worry, you'll hmm. be fine. That's so good. Yeah. Fear is probably one of the greatest inhibiting factors in keeping really brilliant people back from entrepreneurial ventures. So yeah. that is an excellent piece of advice, especially for corporate America folks. And then just as spot on was your advice on the cash. You know, if you're going to be hiring that first person, like that's actually a big commitment. 
in so some ways business i've realized is just cash management and so yeah. you know, if that's what you guys focus on well, that's that's a lot of value right there 100 it, it, and it's so it's so crazy that, that you're mentioning that because it's like the more that i talk with people the more that i'm serving my clients the more i realize like cash in this space is like so important you know if, if you're a well-backed vc company vc tech company um, or vc backed tech company you got a stockpile of cash right because they just infuse you with million millions of dollars whatever mm -hmm. when you're bootstrapped you're living each week you need to be managing that cash flow it's so important so i'm glad that you mentioned the cash aspect because you're you're absolutely right on Michael, honestly, like I feel like we could probably go for another hour or two hours easily. This has been a great, great conversation. I think maybe the next time we have you on, I'd love to dive in further into like even more technical topics um, and get more of your perspective on the industry, which I think we're going to have to do for sure the next time we have you on. Um, but before we go, uh, where can people go to connect with you or follow you? Like, where are you for socials and all that kind of stuff? Drop out. I'm, I'm technically on Twitter, um, but I'm not. <laughs> so LinkedIn is really the only place uh, where where I have any kind of activity. Yeah, um, yeah that's it. Uh, LinkedIn, you know, uh, Berwin is my tag thing. So if you do the LinkedIn.com slash in slash Berwin, that's B-U-R-W-I-N, the family name. Um, oh. But you can Google me too, you know, Michael Harris, bamboo.dev, or if you go to bamboo.dev, which is our website, then obviously go to the people section. Uh, we have LinkedIn links uh, from there as well for myself and, and, and our team. Perfect. And I can attack everybody listening. Michael is an amazing guy to get to know, having a conversation with. I'm sure uh, you guys will enjoy having a conversation with him as well. Well, Michael, again, I really want to say thank you for taking the time. No, thanks, um, So um, with all of that said, I also want to thank all of our listeners. If you all found value in our podcast episode today, please make sure to share it with your friends and subscribe for future episodes. Also, don't forget to leave us a review because it will help other people find us and hear inspiring stories just like the one we heard today. And now if, if you are a founder of a software development agency or you know somebody who is, and you'd like to share something exciting that you are up to with our audience, please feel free to drop me a line at Tony at equip.com. That's A-C-C-Q-U-I-P.com.